Hey, we're Phil and Meredith, and we're the pastors here at Cornerstone Church, and we are so glad that you are here with us today. It's our prayer that this message is an inspiration to you, that it builds you up, that it stirs your faith right now in your today, as well as in the days to come. We believe that God has great things for you. God bless you. We're starting a new series today, church, and I'm excited about it. I've been looking forward to it, and I've been... Uh, just been stirring on what it means. Today, I just want us to open up that series. We're just gonna step into it because over the next few weeks, we're gonna keep digging into it some more. But I, I started thinking about this thing. I got a little bit lost on YouTube a while ago. And um, I don't know if you've ever got lost on YouTube and then you start off looking for something really spiritual, like, you know, like the etymology of a deep Hebrew word and, and a breakdown of that. And then you end up on like stupid videos of people scaring their best friends. And you're like, how did I get here? And I started noticing this thing when I was watching these videos. So there are all these videos out there of friends who set up their friends and they like jump out and scare them on purpose. And then their friends jump or trip or, you know, and it's funny and you find yourself laughing. You're like, this is awful. Why am I laughing at this? But as I was watching these videos, there's this funny theme that I started seeing, which is in about every fifth video or so, the friends would jump out and scare their friend, and then the person who got scared would do something like throw their other friend in front of the person who just scared them so that they could run away, right? They pushed someone else into their perceived place of danger so that they could run away instead of being the type of friend that protects, that helps, that serves. They would do all kinds of like odd little things like that. And I started thinking, I mean, I bet none of them woke up that morning and thought, you know who I am? The type of person I am is that if anyone ever attacks us, I'm the kind of guy who's going to throw my girlfriend in front of that person so that I can get away. No one woke up and thought that that moment. No one thought I am the parent who, if something scares me, would abandon my stroller on the side of the sidewalk to get away. But these things happen and they jump out and they scare them and they surprise them and they're unsettled by the moment and they don't know what they're in the midst of or the, the situation. They hadn't had a prepared response for this particular situation. And it made me start thinking about how unexpected moments and things that we haven't had time to consider and to prepare for sometimes hit something in us and bring something out of us that we didn't know was there. And sometimes it's amazing, heroic things. Like there are all of these videos of dads who catch their kids in all of these crazy split-second moments, and you're like, super dads, they're awesome. And then there are all of these other videos of friends who like throw their friends in front of the perceived danger so they can get out and found out that they had a little bit more self-preservation than group preservation in them than perhaps they thought that they did. And the unexpected moment starts revealing that in them. And I started thinking about our unexpected year and all of the moments that it has thrown at us and all of the different pressure points that it has hit at us and all of the different ways that it has squeezed in on us and made us come out in different ways that we didn't anticipate and some of them are amazing where people start gathering around and start doing incredible things for their neighbors and making sure that the elderly in their community have groceries. And some of them have been a little bit unsettling to find out about the people around us. 
I read an article the other week about a woman who was standing in line at a store and she felt like the woman behind her wasn't properly recognizing the six foot uh, social distancing spacing. So uh, apparently they exchanged a few words and I don't know, she didn't feel like she responded closely enough. So woman A took off her mask and turned around and intentionally coughed in the face of the toddler that woman B was holding. Now, I don't think that woman A woke up that morning and said to her roommate, hey, I'm getting ready to go out to the grocery store and when I do, I think I'm gonna cough in the face of a kid today in the middle of a pandemic, but there was something about the pressure of the moment of what was happening, about all the uncertainties of this virus that's coming against her and all the uncertainties of what feels like conflicting information that she'd been reading all day long and perhaps the pressure of her 85-year-old grandmother that she's trying to help take care of in the middle of all of this and the anxiety started building up on the inside of her and all of the sudden she found herself doing something she never thought that she would do because uncertain moments are unsettling to us and they push on us and they pull on us and they try to sway us to the right and to the left and like Phil was saying if we don't have something that is anchoring us our souls don't do well in the midst of it and when our souls don't do well in the midst of it we start lashing out in uncertain ways we start letting goes uh, go of the principles and the things that we thought that we were building our lives on and when we live in a world that is happening at a moment's notice when decisions are changing to, to by the moment and you feel like you can't keep up with it, we have to have something in us that stabilizes us. We have to have something in us that can carry us through, that can carry us through this year, that can carry us through the challenges that we're facing as a global community and that can carry you through the moments and the challenges that you're facing in your personal life. Earlier this year, we talked about tectonic faith, about the kind of faith that when pressure comes against it, doesn't shrink back, but starts standing up, that rises in a moment. And as we walked through that, that series, and as we, God was speaking to us about the strength of our faith, I started asking myself a step back question. A step back question is something that, that says, wait, I need to take a step back. I did some, some training and some certification a few years back in temperaments and in personalities. And there's one temperament that when it faces a problem, it has the instinct to step into the situation and start trying to understand the details and the minutia and how do all of these pieces happen and work together. And then there's another temperament that has the tendency to want to step back. And the step back question is, where does this fit in the bigger picture? Where does this fit in the, in the grander scheme? What are the things underneath this and above it and around it? I need to get a full view. And there are moments in our life when we need to step in and understand the detail. And there are places in our life when we need to step back and look back. And as I began to ask God that step back question, my step back question was, God, what builds in us faith that lasts? Faith that is sturdy. 
faith that is stable, faith that's resilient to all of the things that, that our life, that our world, that living in the here and the now, in the remnants of a broken world throws at us. God, what is it that creates that stable faith? Because I watch and I watch some people walk through moments and it looks like their faith doesn't waver despite all of the things that's being thrown at them. And I watch other people walk through moments and it seems like their faith starts to crumble. God, what is it that creates a stability? Because what I want for you is I want for you to have a resilient faith. A faith that carries you in every single season that you will walk through. A faith that carries you through this year but beyond this year to all of the challenges that are still coming in life because I believe that the faith that we find in God isn't just a momentary faith, but it's a strong faith. It's a lasting faith. A resilient faith that says sometimes I'm pushed and I bend and sometimes things come against me and I, and I fall back, but my faith always bounces back. My faith always finds its way back to its center. My faith has an elasticity to it that can move a little bit, but come back to right where God planted it. And I started saying, God, what is it that builds in us that kind of resilient, unbreaking, unshaking faith? Because I want that kind of faith. And I want my church to have that kind of faith. A kind of faith that stands up and lasts. And as I started asking God that question, I heard him say what seems like a simple answer, but he said, it's knowing me. It's knowing who I am. See, faith itself is not enough. We have to know the God of our faith. If my faith is not directed towards the God of my faith, I can place my faith in anything. And often I place my faith inside of the wrong things. If faith is the tree that is growing, then our knowing of God is the soil that that tree is growing out of and is sucking its nutrients and its life from. And what I want us to do in the next few weeks is to make sure that we are feeding the soil that our faith is growing from. I want to make sure that we have a deep understanding of who God is. And we're not going to cover it all today. We're not going to cover it all in the next few weeks, but we're going to put some good stuff in that soil. We're going to sow into our soil to make sure that our faith is growing strong out of an understanding of who God is because I want you to know God so deeply and so personally that whenever things come at you, your faith says, but I know who God is. And sometimes we confuse knowing God with responding to God or with being involved in things or with the ways that we walk out our faith. Knowing God is not clapping your hands. Knowing God is not tuning in or showing up to a service. Knowing God is not serving in the house or volunteering in your community. Knowing God is not the conversations that we have or the money that we sow into his house. Knowing God is not the way that we sing or the way that we shout. All of these things are important, but all of these things are a byproduct of knowing God. 
And perhaps it's why we get confused sometimes when we see somebody who we thought their faith was so strong and we thought that their faith was so deep and then we see that their faith starts crumbling in a critical moment of their life. Perhaps it's because the soil that their faith was growing out of wasn't, wasn't seeded with a deep understanding of who God is, but instead was just filled with all of the things that they knew made a good Christian charismatic response in the midst of a service. So they showed up early and they clapped the loudest and they gave faithfully, but when push came to shove, they didn't know who God is. Because when I know who God is, I can walk through any situation because I have a trust in his character. I have a trust in who he is. I have an understanding that God is able to walk me through every single moment and every single situation. Knowing God is not my external actions. It's the internal connection that I have to his presence. It's the internal connection that I have to heaven. It's the internal knowing. Maybe this is why we get unsettled and we get confused. I'm reminded of what God said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16. He went to anoint the next king, and God said, You look on the outward appearance, Samuel, but I look at the inward thing. And I want us to be a people of God that when God looks at the inward place of our heart, says, There's a people who know me. There's a people who are after me. So today we're starting a new series about knowing God. It's not about knowing the things that surround God. It's not about just knowing how to serve God. It's about knowing who God is, about knowing who his life is. Because when we understand who he is and his methods and we walk with him for a while, it creates a sustaining faith in us. Because we have a God who is unlike any other. He is God Almighty. He is God omniscient. He is God omnipotent, all-powerful. He is the transcendent God who came and walked among us. He is the God who is one but is still diverse in his characters in a trinity format. He is the God who is compassionate, the God who is just, the God who is loving, the God who is forgiving, the God who created the stars in the heavens and the earth below. We serve the all mighty God and when we know who he is we know how to walk with him see because my character might develop my character might change my character might grow in some areas and might atrophy in other areas if you don't see me for a couple years and you come back you might find that parts of my character have altered and have changed in the time that you've been away but God is the ever same God he is our God everlasting. We titled our series Forever because he is our forever God. And what carries me in a moment is knowing that he is the God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. When I know what I know about God, it means that when I walk through the uncertain circumstance, then I know who God is because even though my circumstance is different, even though I'm in an unprecedented time, my God is not unprecedented. My God is the same that he has always been. He is 
stable in every situation. In Exodus 3 and 13, we see one of these first moments when God starts to declare of himself who he is. It might be a familiar passage. Even if you haven't grown up in church, you probably have heard of Moses and the children of Israel and the parting of the Red Sea. But before all of that and the plagues in Egypt, Moses had a moment in a desert where he encountered God. And there was a bush that was on fire, but it wasn't burning. And it was the presence of God becoming manifest in this bush. And Moses was speaking to it, and God was giving him all the instructions for where he was to go. And Moses says to him, but who should I say is sending me to these people? And when God announces himself, he says to him, Moses says, and what shall I say that the name is? And God says to Moses in verse 14, I am who I am. I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am is who has sent you. God says, I am all by myself. I am. There's nothing else that can describe me. When I go to describe myself, it is that I am. That Hebrew word there is the word ehe, and it means the God who is, the God who was, and the God who will be. He says, there's not even a tense that can describe me because I just am. Before there was time, I was. And after time is done, I will be. And right here where you're dealing with time and space, I'm still the God who exists in the midst of it. I simply am God. And the reason this is so important as his declaration to Moses is because in the ancient time that Moses was living in, there were a plethora of gods that people thought that they were worshiping. But all of these gods were made by hand. And all of these gods had stories about how they came to being. They had stories of how they rose from the ashes or stories of how they came out of the sea. They had a beginning moment to their story story. But God says, I have no beginning to my story. I am the God who has always been. I am the God who created the story that you're living in. I'm the God who created the time that you're living in. I am the always there, all existing God. I have this interest and this fascination with, with time with the fact that we live inside time and particularly the way that time and eternity butt up against each other and, and how they interact because God doesn't exist inside of our time. And particularly here in the U.S., we have this obsession with time with how are we using our time and how are we maximizing our time. And we always wanna talk about the latest time management tips. And, and we should be good stewards of our time because time, like all of creation, is a creation of God that he gives to us as something to use. And just like the roses that he created, he created time. But time impacts our world and our life in such an important and, and all-consuming way. You can't escape it. As you're sitting here right now listening to this message, time is going on. And you realize that there are moments and seconds in your life that you will never get back to. And that you'll never be able to return to. And it just consumes all of what we do. And so it's difficult for us to imagine that time doesn't affect God in that way. 
God is not bound by time. He's not hurried by time. He's not concerned by time. He's not worried by how young you are or by how old you are or by what schedule you thought you should be to a certain point in your life by now. Bye. God says, I'm not worried about any of that because time is part of my creation. Just like I created everything else that you see, that you exist in, that you live and you work and you move in, I created time. And just in the same way that I use all of it to get to my purpose, I use time to get to my purpose as part of the process of what I'm doing. And I'm walking you through time because he is the God over your situation. He is the God that is greater than the situation. So when we feel hurried, when we feel rushed, when we feel like we're missing a moment, we can remember that he is the I am God that exists beyond the moment of time and that he is the God that can walk you through this situation and has already arrived on the other side of your situation. He's walking through it with you in this moment and he's waiting for you on the other side of it already because he's not bound to this moment. He just simply is. And how do we get to know this all-consuming, all-existing, all-powerful, almighty God who exists outside of time and of space? We could never fully understand him until we are home with him again in heaven and see clearly, but he reveals himself to us and he shows himself to us because he desires for us to know him. And we know God in real, I think one of the ways that we know God is through two simple things, the combination, first, of studying who God is, of taking the time to say, I'm going to learn who this God is. When Phil and I first got married, really even now, but when we first got married, we spent a lot of time getting to know one another. We studied each other. And we studied each other in all kinds of different ways, simple ways like just observing what each other do in different situations. Anybody who's ever gone through a first year of marriage knows all of a sudden you have all kinds of new situations that you're observing your partner in that you never knew were there before. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, you slam the cupboards really loud every time you close a cupboard door. That's actually my thing. I apparently am a loud cupboard door closer. I did not know this about myself until I'd been married for about six months. You start observing how your spouse responds to certain situations, responds in different social settings. You start observing, but if you're like us, you want to go more deep than just kind of observing the casual things that you walk through. And we went wild and did all kinds of those different assessments and personality things. Before we got married, we did some pre-marriage counseling with some pastors who could sit with us and say, hey, you need to talk about this. And did you know this about your spouse? And did you know that about your spouse? And did you know this is what happens when these things come together and that you guys should really be talking about this part? And then once we got married, we just kept diving into it. We kept studying more and more about what are our strengths and what are our blind spots and how do we respond and what fuels us and what drains us because we wanted to know more and more about each other and now we continue to build on those things that we learned about each other 
Too often we casually walk through our relationship with God like because we kept showing up to Sunday services for 15 years, we're just going to know him. You can show up to work with coworkers of yours for 15 years, and would you say that you know some of them? You have to engage in the process of saying, I want to know who my God is. I'm going to get into his word, and I'm going to see what he has spoken about himself and who he is. I'm going to look back on my life, and I'm going to take some notes about how God walked me through things because I learned some things about his patterns, about the way that he repeatedly does things. When I look back and I, and I talk about what he has done, I'm going to speak to other believers about who God is in their life and how he's responding to them and what he's speaking to them and what he's doing in their life because when I talk with you about what God is doing in your life and when you talk to me about what God is doing in my life, all of a sudden we say, God's been faithful to me as well. And he's been faithful to you as well. That means that God must be a faithful God. But if I only stand by myself and I say, it seems like he's kind of been faithful in this situation, but I don't have anything else to compare it to, then I don't know. Is that just something that I'm thinking or is that really who my God is? When we sit and we talk about and we study and we learn who God is, we begin to know him and we feed that soil of our faith. And we can say these are the characters of God. And I believe it's part of what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to start studying who God is. And then we know God by time in his presence, by spending time with God. It's not enough to just study him. If you just study somebody, but you don't actually ever spend any time with them, they call that a stalker. If I studied Phil from afar all the time, and I could tell you he eats lunch every day at 12.03 p.m., and his favorite meal to eat is pizza from Vito's Pizza, and his favorite shoes are his blue tennis shoes, and I know all kinds of things about the way that he responds to people, that he's compassionate and that he's caring and that he takes the extra step to reach out to people and to help be understood in a situation. I know all of this, and you said, oh, that's great. How often do you guys catch up? Oh, never. I sit in my car and I watch him. You'd be like, okay, I'll be calling the police now because that's illegal, right? That is not knowing God, but we have too many stalker Christians who want to study some things about Jesus and who want to say that they know a few Bible verses, but they've never taken the time to come and sit in his presence and say, God, who would you say that you are? God, let's spend some time together. God, walk with me in this moment. God, reveal yourself to me in this moment. God, tell me who you are because I, I don't just want to know some things about you in my head. I want to understand you in my spirit. I want to be in relationship with you, Jesus. I want to be in community with you, Father God. If everything else in my world doesn't make sense, I know that I have a God who I can come and sit with and he will rejoice with me on the mountaintop and he will walk with me in the valley season because I have been in his presence. 
the combination of studying who God is and time in his presence lead us to a revelation of who he is. And once you've had a revelation of who God is, that's that good stuff in your soil. Because once you have had the light bulb, this is who God is moment, nothing can take it away from you. And you can walk through any season and you can say, I'm not sure about what's happening on the outside of me, but I know on the inside of me who God is. It's where you get that wild, even when I don't understand the moment, Abraham kind of faith that says, God, you asked me to lay down and sacrifice the son that you told me was the promise. This doesn't make any sense at all to me. And when you walk through and this doesn't make any sense at all to me kind of season in your life, you have to be able to lean back on a but I know who God is kind of moment. And Hebrews tells us that when Abraham was in his, I don't understand this moment, he leaned back on who God was. And it says he reasoned in himself that God was a God who could raise his son from the dead. He said, God, I don't know this moment, but I know who you are. I know that you're faithful. I know that you're the God of the promise. I know that this son is my promise that you gave me. And I know that you are the God of life and that you are able to restore and to, and to bring back to life the promise that you gave me, even if it goes all the way to death. Sometimes you just have to list out the things that you know to be true about God in a moment. God, I don't know what's going on, but I know that you are good. God, I don't know what's going on, but I know that you are just. God, I don't know what's going on, but I know that you are constant. God, I don't know what's going on, but I know that you are faithful. I know that you are merciful. I know that you are true, God. I know that you are consistent and steady and unwavering and God eternal outside of this moment. So even though I don't know what this one thing is, I know all of these things about who you are, God. And we can begin to declare those moments because a revelation of who God is opens something up in us. Why don't you turn to Matthew 16 if you're turning in your Bible or scrolling in your Bible. If not, we're going to have it here on the screen. I want to read something to you about Peter's revelation of who God is. Matthew 16, starting in 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus said, But who do you say, he asked, Who do you say that I am? And then Simon Peter answered. I love about Peter that he always has an answer. He is ready. And he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. 
Peter had spent the last three years of his life walking with Jesus, spending some time in his presence, spending some time learning about who Jesus was, taking the scriptures that he was taught as a boy and observing Jesus fulfill them and make the connections, taking time when they retreated from the crowd and saying, Jesus, I want to ask you some questions about what I just saw out there. I want to learn and I want to study what's happening and I want to sit with you at the table and I want to walk with you in a situation. And he combined those two things of studying and of existing in the presence. And when those two things were combined in his life, God breathed on them and revealed to him something that everyone else hadn't seen yet, but that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And when he said, I've had a revelation about who God sitting in front of me right now is, Jesus said, yes. And there's strength in that revelation, Peter. I can build on that revelation, Peter. When God reveals to you who he is and you stand on that revelation, it's a strength in your faith that will walk you through every season, but it's also a strength in your faith that God can build on and send you to declare out into the earth who he is, to declare into a hurting world, to declare into a broken world, to declare into an uncertain world that I have a God who is greater than every moment that we're walking through. And I have a God who is greater than every situation that we're facing right now. And I believe that God is calling on a people who know him who know him deep down in their knower, who know him deep in their soul and in their spirit, who have spent time feeding the soil of their life with studying who he is, with understanding and with sitting and soaking in his presence and that God is gonna breathe on it and say, there is my people who know who I am because what the world needs is not another trendy slogan. What the world does doesn't need is just another people looking for the next edgy thing. What the world needs is not just another placating promise about what God might do. What the world needs is a revelation of who God is and that he will walk with them in every moment. And we are going to get deep in us exactly who God is. Over these next few weeks, I believe he is going to build in us a resilient faith that walks in every moment and in every situation and that grows in us a strength that the gates of hell cannot stop, that declares heaven to come to earth, that declares in our communities his kingdom be established, that says where prejudice has stood up, we are going to break ground, that says where division has stood up, we are going to declare unity because we don't have a halfway faith. We don't have a faith that we hope can possibly maybe get us through this moment. We have a faith that has been fed on the presence of who God is and a revelation of his consistency, his faithfulness, his greatness, and the character of who God is. And it is going to walk us through this moment. Amen, church? Amen.
God, right here in this moment, we ask you for fresh hearts of revelation. God, let the soil of our lives be open to what you're going to speak to us. Let us be hungry to know you more, God. Let us be hungry to learn, to thirst, to run after you. And God, let us not be too busy or distracted to sit in your presence, to dwell with you, to hear your voice, God. We ask you to breathe on us in this moment so that we can know who you are. And I speak over your people, God, that you are giving fresh revelations of just who you are, of the character of your, your goodness, God, of the character of your faithfulness, of the grandness of who you are. God, that we would be a resilient people with resilient faith for uncertain times, that we were built for this moment as you walk with us in it. We thank you for it, Jesus. In your mighty, all-powerful, unchanging, everlasting, consistent, strong, exalted above every name, holy name, we say amen. We are believing that that word will bring strength and hope into your life. Absolutely. If God just spoke to you through this message and you're stirred right now to partner with us and to sow financially into the ministry that is Cornerstone Church, I want to encourage you to jump on over to our website, which is simply cornerstone.church and click the Give button. Find the avenue that is most convenient for you today. That's right. We are going to continue spreading the message of the gospel and we look forward to continuing to connect together.